On the podcast today, I am joined by Mark McCrindle. Mark is the principal at McCrindle Consulting, where they help organizations like MYOB, Boost Juice, and HelloFresh understand more about their markets, their customers, their teams, and what's likely to happen going forward in the future. Mark is a highly sought after social media commentator, and he is the co-author of a recent book called Work Wellbeing. In that, we dive into what's the fluff versus the real data here. Mark has done a phenomenal amount of research into the effect of workplace wellbeing, what works, what doesn't, how we can actually make a difference with it. We discuss how smart leaders today don't just tick the box on workplace wellbeing with a bit of yoga and a fruit bowl, but how they embrace it and live it every day as an example to others. We discuss some really practical tips just on how you can get started in the workplace wellbeing front, and we learn why sometimes the best thing to do as a leader is to get the hell out of the way. Please welcome Mark McCrindle. Mark, welcome along to the Business Leaders Breakthrough Podcast. Fantastic to have you. Great to be with you, Ryan. Thanks for having me on board. Alrighty, let's have our audience find out a few fast facts about you. Are you a breakfast or a dinner guy? I'm a dinner guy, yeah. Okay, and, and what's on the uh, the last supper? <laughs> Probably a vegetarian pasta uh, always goes well. Definitely some some chocolate at the end, so I'm not, not a total health freak at all. I like the way you roll. Already on holiday, are we likely to find you uh, bungee jumping or lying on the pool lounger? Oh, definitely adventure. I have have been partial to a few bungee jumps in my time and uh, occasional rock climbing or skydiving. So uh, I like to try something new. Mate, you got it. I like the action adventure. Alrighty, you're, a, you're an author yourself, Mark, and we're going to talk about your, your book, your most recent book. Uh, looking forward to that discussion. But tell me when you're reading yourself, are you an electronic or a real real book kind of guy? I do like to pick up the hard copy. Probably spend too long looking at screens in my day. So when it comes to book time, I like to hold it in my hand. I like it. I like it. Uh, cats or dogs? Uh, dogs. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, good. Right, we can keep going. And what's what's uh, what's your routine, Mark? Are you uh, an early riser or a night owl? Yeah, I tend to get up early. Um, you know, young family, young kids. So that sort of helps uh, in that space. But yeah, I like to get the day underway and get some things done early. Yeah, and is there anything particular in your morning routine that you know you have to have to nail to set yourself up for a good day? I do like to get out and do a bit of exercise. Nothing um, totally strenuous, but definitely, you know, for me, I I am refreshed getting into the bush and lots of bushland around where we are. Um, so so nothing like a, a quick jog or a, or a walk into the the, the nature to uh, to I think reset the compass for the day. Absolutely, get a bit of oxygen into the brain. It's uh, good to go. I like it. And if you were watching a movie, what would we be watching? Would it be thriller, comedy, action? What's your What's your vibe? I love uh, docos. So probably if, if something was based on real events um, or a historical period piece, that would probably um, tick a few boxes for me. Okay. Now, Mark, uh, let's learn a little bit more about you. Uh, demographer and futurist are a couple of words that uh, come up. Were they ones that when you were uh, sitting in primary school, you were like, when I grow up, I, I want to be a demographer and a futurist? That's right. And social researcher. Uh, they're, they're yeah. not particularly mainstream um, career choices that the careers advisor you know, has on the list. But uh, what I did always love was people and studying people and behaviours. So for me, post-school, it was off to uni to study psychology. And what I particularly loved in my psych studies was not the clinical psych, it was the social psychology, it was the organisational psychology. And so I 
I moved from there into this field of sociology, social research and people analysis, which is demographics. And that's been a uh, I guess a, a connection of, of not just my interests, but how I can, I guess, help organizations and groups and, and also, you know, what the skills and the training led me towards. Okay. Now I've got some uh, interesting questions for you around your, your book and uh, maybe how the connection happens between data and the area that you've been studying. I'm interested in that, but what might a typical day look like for you and your practice? I've got a bit of a team with, with a lot of projects going on. So a fair bit of the day is, is just looking over those projects and, and often a bit of troubleshooting or um, giving direction to the team, you know, as comes out in the book, I think the key role of the leader is to grow the team, is to enlarge their capacities, to empower them and support them. So that is a fair bit of the day. There are other projects that I'm driving on myself, but really I do see my role to serve the team, to serve the clients. So I'm, while I've got some tasks, uh, I'm also pretty available at the disposal and the, and the support of the team. Great. And your recent book that you wrote, Work Wellbeing, with one of your um, colleagues, Ashley, the immediate thing that came to mind to me when I, when I looked at the book was uh, this interesting, uh, I guess, collision between maybe work wellbeing that we tend to probably think a bit more centered in the, shall I say, fluffy you know, let's let's make sure there's some nice plants in the corner and some feng shui in the office. If I'm if I'm being uh, at one end of the continuum, and then you've taken a very data driven approach to uh, understanding well being, how it influences us as leaders, as uh, employees, as team members, and our business performance. How did you kind of find that common ground between uh, what we might you know typically think of as work well being, and then a, a sort of a data research led approach? Yes, yeah, such a great um, summary, Ryan, and that's exactly what we saw in the space as well, you know, what could be called wellness, you know, and it is about the yoga and the stretch breaks and the bowl of fruit and, and all of that is fine, um, but we had a far bigger perspective of work and its role in our life. You know, we spend more than a third of our waking hours at work for a lot. When you include commute time, if we're working the 40 or so hours a week, you know, for a lot of people, it's actually more than half of their waking hours at work. And so it is a key place to get thriving going. And so what we talk about when we discuss well-being is flourishing, thriving, being your best self. And that evolves by its very nature, uh, more than, than just having stretch breaks and natural light in the workplace. It's, it's fundamentally the purpose of work in our lives. And the fact that it is the key point in our lives of social interaction, of contribution, of skills development, of identity, and you know, making a difference with the life that we have. And so, so we take a high view of work. And along with that, we take a high view of teams. And our nature is not just to get by or to have our teams as people that can give us a hand from time to time, but a true community and a place that comes together to together achieve more than otherwise they would, exactly like a thriving sporting team does on the field. And beyond that, the role of leadership, and again, you know, if you have a high view of work and the impact it can make in our community, you've got to have a high view of leadership and how they are the key enablers of thriving in organizations and in teams. So I guess it's that higher order focus that we wanted to bring and perhaps born of a bit of frustration of some of the, the well-being that we see around workplace, the well-being literature and saying, hey, you know, there's, there's bigger stakes we've got to get right. There's bigger rocks that we've got to sort out here to create work as a place of thriving for individuals, for teams, and for the communities in which they're planted. That was our key driver. Okay. In the, in the research that you did around the, the book and the foundation for the investigation, uh, what surprised you? 
firstly, how challenged we are in our lives. We found, and this was research nationally across Australia, but we've seen studies right around the world that 40% of workers are often or always rushed or pressed for time. The key cause of stress in their life, above other causes, there are, there are several causes of stress in life from financial to physical health and relational issues, but the biggest is work. That's the key cause of stress in life. And it's also the key bottleneck through which we all pass and, and have the opportunity for social interaction and for connection. And it's obviously key to our earnings and, and the financial thriving of our life. So, so, you know, if work is this key opportunity that can cause some of the biggest challenges in our life, but if we get it right, it can be one of the biggest blessings in our life, then we've got to sort it out. So that, that recognition, again, research-based was probably the first you know, real motivator for us in this book. And secondly, we said, well, okay, whose job is it to get thriving going at work? Is it your job as the employee? And actually the majority, the vast majority of respondents said, no, just like physical safety, workplace health and safety is the employer's responsibility. They're, gonna, I mean, they're setting the rules, they're earning the big bucks and they're benefiting from the team. They've got to get safety right. It's their responsibility and they've got to get mental health right. They've got to get general well-being right in a workplace. So if we start to line it up, we found that most people are saying work is a cause of stress, that the employer has to get it right. And thirdly, when we said, well, what has the biggest impact on a place, on a workplace in terms of the direction, the majority was, you know, yes, the colleagues and the job description and the clients, customers, all of that has an impact on us. But the biggest was the leadership, the team leaders, the managers, the, the, the leadership of the organization. So lining those up, leaders, by creating the right systems, can remove the blockers and create flourishing in the workplace, which is going to help significantly our lives. It just makes sense that leaders have to sort this out. And so the subtitle of the book is Leading Thriving Teams in Rapidly Changing Times. And that describes these times and that describes the opportunity that leaders have to make a difference. And what did you observe? The organisations that were doing things very well where their uh, team members felt that they were able to thrive, what, what were the observations around, uh, I guess, traits of leadership, behaviour of leadership, uh, how they uh, interact and deal with their teams, all the things you observed that, that seemed to be uh, making a difference? Well, firstly, they had a vision not just for their organisation, but these leaders had a vision for their team. And I think that's the starting point. You know, this team centricity in their perspective. Yes, customers are important, but actually customers have to come second. The staff have to come first because if we can develop the staff, empower the staff, support our teams, they will then be able to thrive and be in the right mindset to be able to better serve the customer. We found can, I, can, I, can I ask a question there? Did leaders take that uh, people-centric? Did they get formal about that? Did they have you know, purpose statements that they'd worked on with their team to arrive at those, those outcomes? How kind of formal did they get about that? Or was it more an observation? You see some leaders naturally bring their teams and put them front and centre and that's kind of worked well. How did, how did that yeah. process work? They definitely had processes or systems that enabled that 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 team focus, um, and it's probably going back to some of the management versus leadership 
um, differentials that we've all seen, you know, that these were leaders rather than managers. Managers, you know, focus on things and systems and procedures. Leaders focus on people and engagement and the dynamics. Managers have that shorter term focus quarter by quarter. These leaders had the longer term vision. They had a, a sense of the legacy and the impacts. You know, managers focus on the numbers. Leaders focus on the culture. And if we get that right, and if we engage our people and develop our people, the numbers have a habit of taking care of themselves. Now, it's not as though these leaders were negligent on the numbers, were negligent on strategy. They got that right. But as we know, you know, Peter Drucker said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You know, culture actually is the enabler of the strategy. It's the prerequisite to the strategy. And so definitely, you know, processes are important. They need to be there but they do come second to, to getting the culture and the people side right. And, and we saw that these leaders had a real strategy around that. In fact, we surveyed workers that were working in places that they self-identified across a number of traits as having strong well-being or culture and engagement. And here's what we found, that an employee working in a place of well-being had firstly longer tenure, so you had less turnover. Secondly, higher brand engagement, so they were brand ambassadors. And thirdly, higher productivity. In other words, they were more engaged in the job and so delivered better results. So even for those leaders out there who are focused on the hard numbers, who are cautious of this soft and fluffy people stuff, uh, I can tell you, and the empirical data shows it, that you get the people side right and you'll get an ROI on that. You'll get a return on that investment through engagement, less turnover, um, uh, and, and also that brand ambassador stuff. So it does lead to better outcomes anyway, as well as more satisfied and thrived people. And just the, you know, for those leaders, it's a far more enjoyable environment for them to go to go to work in because, you know, just like they've got a team around them that they're trying to help them have a better day at work. You know, when you've got a, a good team that's thriving, that's enjoying being there, that is engaged, that is saying good things about your organisation, well, that's a really fun uh, team to lead and to be around as well. Um, and look, I totally endorse uh, not only your research, Mark, but other research I've, I've looked at and uh, individual case studies of organisations, the, the bottom line outcomes of these approaches are just so true. You know, they, they yeah. really hit the p and And it's, so it's great. great to see, you know, this is part of a broader movement, right? I mean, you're seeing it, you know, I'm sure in your world and with your clients too, that we've got new generations of leaders who have that focus, that, that broader holistic focus on what they're about. You could call them in some ways social enterprises. You could call them for the common good. And it's not actually just this enlightened view of business. It's a return to how business was supposed to be. You know, in the book, we got into the etymology of even the word corporation. And it comes from the Latin corpus, which means one body. You know, so yes, we're diverse. And the best organizations have diversity in their teams, generational, cultural, gender. But they bring unity to the diversity by having a clear focus, by connecting uh, across the team. And so they work as one body. And that's what we want. We want unity. We want community. We want connection in our, in our organizations. We, we looked at the etymology of the word company, and it comes from the Latin word come, which is together, companionship and, uh, and camaraderie. And the panis, we, we know the word panini or bread. So it's together, breaking bread. That's what companies originally were about. People coming together, sharing together, you're know, benefiting of the fruit of that together, but, but literally you're know, communing together. And, and that's what a company should be, not just focused on the quarterly returns or the profit for the owner or the, or the, the shareholder equity, but of course, the benefits, the blessings, the, the impacts we can make and together sharing bread of the team. And that 
of course, has that profit share that, that, that leads to the growth of and benefits of families and communities and reinvesting back to where they're planted. And that's core to good business. That's core to capitalism in its in its virtuous sense, and it's what we're seeing a lot more of, and I see, therefore, business is on a great track in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And always the uh, question of the, the researcher and the author is, are you eating your own dog food? <laughs> tell, us, uh, tell us how you uh, implement some of these things at McCrindle. Yeah, well, that's right. And I think, you know, for a good book, you know, it has to flow from the lived experience. It has to flow from the passion and come from the heart. So we've focused on that from the start in our organization, uh, making sure that, you know, we can empower people the way we are here, I guess, with with sort of social research and, and, and marketing and communications, which is the sector we sit. You do tend to get a lot of young people coming in, a lot of graduates. And, and so that's been great to to see a goal of developing them. You know, we we get the opportunity to write lots, lots of reports, thought leadership and, and impact reports that get out there. So we we make sure we, we give the opportunity for our younger researchers to have their name in the report as authors, to be the spokespeople back to the client. You know, not just have me go and deliver the findings to the, to the client, but let's get the younger ones uh, involved early on. Let's stretch them, give those opportunities. You know, our phone rings a bit with the media uh, wanting a comment on this or that. Well, it shouldn't just be me that's, that's answering those, those social commentary responses, but again, empowering our team. And, and uh, you know, on the book, you know, co-author Ashley Fell, who came in uh, to this organisation uh, six years ago as a, as a grad and as just a you know, team leader and researcher in her own right and, and so very capable co-author uh, who actually lifted things from what I could get just from my perspective as a millennial she sees things in a, in a different perspective and could really add such value to the to the work to the book and to our organization that's what I've seen consistently you know the more we not only bring in that that next generation and in, equip them uh, but then importantly empower them and also then entrust them, you know, leave it to them to get it done. It creates that growth and it creates that well-being in the organization. People see it, people stick around longer and, uh, and, and it brings others in as well. So we've seen the benefits of a workplace of well-being here. And that's why we wanted to tell the story a bit and, and write the book on it. Yeah, I think that uh, insight of sometimes leaders just need to get the hell out of the way. Um, <laughs> we're, we're often the, you know, as leaders, we're often the ones that um, prevent the amazing work because we get we get stuck in the way too often. Uh, actually, our people are more ready than we think. Uh, they've often got different experiences and different uh, knowledge and skills that they can bring to the table if we just only uh, let them explore and develop and utilize those those things. So true, okay. and it, it highlights that intergenera- intergenerational nature. You know, we might bring the experience as Gen Xs or baby boomers, which is important and great, and a bit of wisdom as part of our journey. But they bring the younger uh, perspective, the tech skills, perhaps the the ability to pivot and, and innovate and be agile, entrepreneurial. You know, across that diversity, again, generationally, in this sense. Um, you have a greater outcome than just an individual could bring. Okay. Mike, on uh, the breakthrough, we love uh, practical things that we can go and implement. Look, we we understand the science, we understand the research, we understand the concept beast, but we also love to be able to give our listeners some practical tips that they can go, hey, what could I go and start doing, doing today? So let me ask you a couple of personas. Uh, one might be I'm a, a CEO of a 500-person organization. Um, where might I start with, uh, you know, 
thinking and implementing uh, workplace wellbeing. We'll do that one first. And then the second one, I'm interested going maybe I'm more of a mid-level manager. I've got a, a team of 10 or 15 people with me. Um, I'm not the one that sets the strategy in the organization. I'm not the one that uh, gets to uh, you know, fundamentally uh, say what's happening, but I have a real influence on my team. I'm interested in maybe a couple of tips for someone at that level as well. So Very let's cool. start with the uh, kind of CEO, CEO level. What would, cool. you, what would you say? What's some practical things that they could, could get going with? Well, the first point I would say is that you know, well-being can't be a program. It has to be a culture. It has to be something that we believe and we're passionate about and we see the benefit of. It has to be, in other words, a championing of our team, um, not just a bolt-on uh, practice or, 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 or veneer. Um, so it's, it's, it's not about programs, it's about practices. And that does start from the top. The tone from the top is key. So you know, as leaders, we need to model this and we need to make sure that we've got well-being done ourselves. You know, I love the, the, the simple analogies um, that, that we get when we jump on a flight, when we used to go on flights, uh, and say, you know what, if there's an emergency, put your own mask on first, and then you'll be able to assist those in need. And, and I guess that's just about the example. Um, and so leaders need to model this first. They need to have it as part of their core and champion their team. You know, we say it shouldn't be about the next program, it should be about the next generation. So if we have that longer term vision, if we have a, a focus on the legacy, that's going to help set these, these systems up as well. A lot of leaders are focused on the immediate return. But with something like well-being or culture shift or empowering and enlarging our team's capabilities, it does have a longer perspective. We said in the book, you know, the success of a leader is measured not in what they achieve in their tenure, but what they set in motion. So making well-being part of how they live, exemplifying it, making sure it's integrated rather than just programmatical and making sure they have that longer term vision. They are all key. Yes. You know, let's get the, the natural light and the, the, the um, atmospherics and the ergonomics, right. You know, that, that matters. If people want the standing desk, let's encourage that. Let's have the stretch breaks here. You know, let's be healthy and, and encourage that around a workplace in the physical space. Uh, we have a little three letter equation, well-being equals CPI and, it's not the consumer price index. It's not an economics one. The C is culture. And we discussed that a little bit already. The P is purpose. You know, share the vision. Highlight what is happening, the difference that this organization is making. Because this next generation, they don't want a job. They want an opportunity. They want to make a difference and, uh, and have an impact. And for them, you know, the difference they make often matters more than the money they earn. And so it is about sharing that purpose and being intentional about that vision casting. And the I of the CPI stands for impact. You know, celebrate the wins, give the pats on the back, show the difference that is being made. And not just from those who might be on the front line, you know, able to, able to track those wins, but, but that person who's back office, that person in the larger organization who's just a long way down from the, from the, the, the activity end and say, you know what, look at what you did and how that flowed on and the impacts you've made. Champion them. Show the impacts that their work has done. The CPI, I think, is a little practical acronym that we put yeah. in there to, to give some practice. I like it. I like it. Um, so what I see overarching all, all of that is a genuine care for people. So start with the, the genuine care. You know, coaching, we know a critical part of being a, being a leader, but actually if you start with how are you as a person, how are you doing as a person, what's going on for you in your world, how is that contributing or detracting from what we're, you, you've got going on in your work, give us some insight. Uh, it's always a good place to, to start. Yeah, totally. Um, the purpose piece, 
I know I've seen organizations really struggle with this. Look, it's, uh, it's really easy when you're a uh, charity and you're helping uh, you know, fund for medical research. It's going to save lives and you know, it's, it's really easy to arrive at, at purpose. How do, how do organizations arrive at purpose when they're uh, widget makers? Yeah. Well, firstly, you know, it's the bigger purpose of even the benefits that the staff gain. It's even that, that social interaction. You know, we wrote in the book that for some people, sure, work is just a job. It's a place that, that they go to. It's just a job. Maybe it's one of a few jobs that they're running. But for many, many more of our team, work is a place of social interaction, of connection, of skills development, and of contribution. So even if, you know, it might be selling cars or widgets or, you know, um, I don't know, web services, whatever that we might think is not exactly finding cures for cancers, you know what? It still has an impact and it performs a big purpose in the lives of our team. And everyone loves achieving something and, and making something better. I watched my little 10-year-old son spend hours developing a little Lego world and people would say, oh, he's playing. No, no, he is working. He is, he's got a vision of what he wants. He puts his effort in. I can tell it's work because when one of his siblings knocks it over, uh, he gets quite upset. You know, kids are working towards a goal. Now we say, oh, it's just Lego, it's just play. So it is in the workplace. We want to achieve something. We want to make a difference, do our best, and we want feedback on that and to see that we've made our little world better than it was when we arrived. And, and so giving that feedback, that support, knowing the place of social connection in a world of loneliness and isolation, work is key for that. Of course, the financial benefits, support families and communities, make our economy tick, and that's important in its own realm, beyond even the difference that our organization makes in terms of our products and services. And there are great benefits. You know, take what we do as social research, asking people questions, running focus groups or surveys. We say to our team, you know what, we are uh, collecting wisdom and imparting that to our society. We are, we are discovering insights and telling that story and guiding the journey of organizations who might be hospitals or educators. We, we, we are researching the next generation that we then present to organizations so they can shape the next generation and create the future, you know? So wherever we are on that rung, it's about understanding the bigger part of that in the picture and communicating that to our team so they can say, wow, we, in my little area, I'm actually helping this world uh, get a bit better and creating a bit more of that flourishing. I think it's possible to find that and we need to have that bigger vision of communicating. And it's not tacky, it's not hype, it's not, uh, it's not overdone. I mean, I think we need to be realistic in how we communicate it, but, but, but champion it because people want to hear that. They want to hear that vision. And I think we've all been, as team members, fulfilled when we've had a, a time of challenge, but we've felt a team come together, do hard work. And, I, and I'd like to uh, confirm with you that workplace wellbeing is not about um, everything being easy and cruisy. It's about doing great work. You know, there will be times when we're feeling maybe under the, under the pump, but it, it doesn't go into a dark place. But as a team, we're pulling together and we're getting good outcomes for our organization, for our customers, for our community. That's when we feel fulfilled and most part of a part of a team. Is that, have, I, have I got that lined up well? That, that's exactly right. You know, and we wrote in the book that there are three circumstances through which our lives really grow. You know, like growth rings in a tree. What, what causes us to grow? And, and really, we look back and we say, wow, that season was a season of growth. And the first is extreme adversity. 
you know, and we don't want for that, but it's amazing how when you're in tough times, which we are around our world and our economies at the moment, we're, this is a time to, you know, we're on a war footing. We're going we're to get through this thing and together we can, we will look back and say, I didn't love those days, but I wouldn't have exchanged them for anything because they were growth times. And the second is, is massive dissatisfaction. When we're in a rut, we're just frustrated day after day. And, and finally, you just had enough of it. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You say, I'm going to break out of this, you know. And again, we wouldn't wish for that, but there are times when we hit those those hard places and we just, we respond accordingly. But the third, and I think it is something that's a positive space that we can all benefit on from is, is exposure to a world-class leader. You know, when we're up close and personal with, with a leader who is, is, is a high-level leader, that is also the cause of great growth in our lives. We get mentored by them, as you mentioned earlier. Right? We, we get shaped by them. We, we follow their example and we say, wow, that season I had under that leader really helped me grow. And I've had it in my life and I'm sure you've had it in yours, Ryan. And we, we say that, that that's great. And that's what we want to encourage these leaders to be so that they can be growth rings for their team members. And they're not always going to be with you, but after two or three or four years with you, uh, as they maybe move on, they say, wow, you really helped me grow. And if we can help someone grow in their life, can't want, want much more than that. You know, what, what a benefit we, we've had, uh, a privilege we've had to be able to shape someone's journey. Mm. I had uh, Gihan Pereira, which you may know, fellow uh, Australian, uh, also a, a futurist, and he talked about the importance of reverse mentors. So yes. not only us, uh, you know, looking up to maybe leaders that are more senior and more uh, higher in the hierarchy, but the important for us as leaders in our organisation to connect to other individuals who are maybe younger, bring different experiences, come from different generations, and the meeting of those two, how it can be a really powerful experience for, for both people involved in that uh, situation. Yeah, so true. And, and you know, that's that, that second persona you asked me to discuss then. Well, what about yes. those who aren't leaders? You know, what about those who are just in the team? How can they, if it's all about leaders changing things, what, what's their role? And we, we said that, no, you know, we've got a whole chapter in the book on being a well-being champion, you know, because these days, as you said, with reverse mentoring, you know, it's not just those who have the power, those who are at the top of the tree who actually shape things. Often you get that bubble up change in a time of, of cultural shifts. Often it's those that are on the front lines, on the factory floor who are perhaps down, down low. They have influence and leverage if they will step up because leadership is not a title. Leadership is not about authority. It's about influence. And sometimes those that are lower down the chain actually can have more influence and more, more connection uh, to shape things. So we said in the book, you know, be the change that you want to see. You know, if, if the place has got a toxic culture, if the, if the social dynamics are a bit dysfunctional, if people aren't being included, then be the one to go and start to build those links and start to mentor and shape those. You might not be able to change the organization, but let's be realistic, but you can change those individual lives. You can change your area. You can move into a team leadership role and change your department. And that, that is key. And there are practical strategies in the book we've got that discuss this, but, but you know, Culture is not owned by the leader. It's, it's owned by all of us and it's shaped by all of us and how we participate. And you know, regardless of the direction of the wind, you know, we all get the chance to adjust the set of our sails. And, and there is some practical advice beyond that. You know, we do say that if you are in a place and maybe the, t- the culture is too toxic and maybe you're so disempowered, maybe the organizational chart is such that, you know, they're not listening to you and, and there is no opportunity to really um, create flourishing well, then maybe that's that's the answer is look elsewhere because life is too short to be in a toxic workplace for a year or two or three if we can't have an influence. And 
and for our own well-being, uh, find a place where there is the openness and the invitation for the, the, the good perspective that we can bring and invest there. And so it is about being upskilled and employable enough. It is about being future-proofed enough to be able to move jobs, move locations and have an impact in a new place. And sometimes that's the answer for people, not just grinding away in a place where there really is no future there. Totally agree. And Mark, I see the impact of culture. We really experience culture with the five, six, maybe 10 people that we work with every single day. And when each of us understands that we can be a positive influencer, we can be a culture maker with those people that we work with every day, we no longer have to feel like we've got to rely on someone that we maybe mm-hmm. see in a town hall meeting once a, <laughs> once a quarter, um, that actually if, if those, that group that we spend our time together, if we all take on the responsibility of building our own culture in our little part of the organization, and we've seen that uh, ripples in the pond effect, right, one team starts to Doing better and that now cross-functional teams are getting a bit of culture and it just starts moving moving out and yeah. being right across the organization so true and it, and it highlights that you know it's not about intelligence uh, intelligence is great but it's about an, an understanding of the we say the eq you know the emotional intelligence it's it's, un, it's having empathy it's it's understanding people and it's those that connect across the head and the heart they are the leaders whether they have that official leadership role or not they are the influencers because they can read culture and shape people as well as understanding tasks and deliver outcomes so so head and heart is key and if people can develop that you know particularly in time of disruption and change they are the ones in a in an era of diversity as well that can connect across that diversity adapt to the change and deliver the outcomes and, and they'll have a strong future regardless of their current role in the organization great mark i'm sure we've got a whole lot of listeners going get me a copy of that book where can where can people find it yeah, at all good bookstores or, you know, any of the online bookstores, you know, go to Amazon or Book Depository, Booktopia, wherever you like. But, um, but yeah, that's the book, um, sort of 200-odd pages and a lot more uh, research than we've had a chance to get into and some good case studies and, and in-depth interviews as well. So grab it and, um, and, uh, and hopefully it'll make a difference uh, to the readers out there. That's certainly a hope. Okay. So, look, we'll make sure we put in the podcast show notes a link through to the, to the book. Um, also, to your organisation that you lead as, as principal there, Mark, mccrindle.com.au. Um, where else should we uh, connect and, and follow you if we want to hear a bit more about uh, the research you're doing and the um, future thinking that you're doing? Where, where else can we find you? Well, we try to set free as much of the research as we possibly can. We believe that research is at its best when it's not only available for all, but accessible in a visual sense. So we create a lot of infographics, a lot of visual summaries, and we put all these reports up on our website, mccrindle.com.au. There's blogs there and a lot of resources freely accessible. So grab hold of that um, or the book, but through that website, you'll get uh, get a lot of uh, a lot of free resources. Fab. And Mark, final question for you. What's your definition of leadership? It's someone who not only knows the way, but they, they go the way and they, they show the way. And by their own example, uh, their own integrity, their character, they inspire others to be leaders themselves. So leaders that create leaders are the ideal ones. We call them enlarging leaders. They make people better than otherwise they would be. And that to me is a, a true leader. 
Hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Look, I'd really like to acknowledge not only the, the time and energy you've brought to this uh, podcast episode, I've really enjoyed it, but also the work that you've done. Hey, look, I realize that there's an aspect of it that comes from a commercial nature of running a business, but I can really sense that you're actually trying to make the world a better place as well. You're interested in how we build better workplaces, how we build better communities, how we help people uh, lead and fulfill a more fulfilling life. Um, really appreciate your, uh, your insights, but also the work that you and the uh, McCrindle team are doing. Thanks so much. No worries, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thanks to you and Breakthrough as well. Okay. 